Reader's Digest presents Hollywood 360 with your host, Carl Amari. He was like a god walking amongst mere mortals. He had a voice that could make a wolverine purr. And suits so fine, they made Sinatra look like a hobo. Is this your place, Carl? Yeah, what do you think? Really? It's really awful. But I have a lot of things that are on order. You know, credit trouble. Pay more attention to your schoolwork and listen to the radio. You always listen to the radio. It's different. Our lives are ruined already. Go Whistler. Self-destruct in five seconds. Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents all things entertainment, including movie reviews, celebrity interviews, classic radio shows, trivia contests, and showbiz news. This hour on Hollywood 360, I'll present a classic radio sci-fi adventure of X minus one. But first, national movie critic Sarah Adamson is here to review two films that recently released. They are The Walk. And a brilliant young mind. Hey, Sarah, how are you? I'm doing great, Carl. How are you? Great. Let's talk about The Walk. Welcome to New York. Anything to declare? I'm going to hang a high wire between the two towers of the World Trade Center and walk on it. <laughs> Good luck. No matter where I was going or what I was doing, I was always searching, looking for the perfect place to hang my wire. What's this film all about? It's rated PG. It's a drama by Sony Pictures. This is the true story of Philippe Pettit, played by Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Right. He's a high-wire artist. Yes, he is. Who, in 1974, along with this band of unlikely recruits... Right, like the Robin Hood and the Merry Men. <laughs> yes, yes. He attempts this illegal high-wire walk across the two World Trade Center towers. Right. In New York City. Right, and the whole of how do we get the wire across and... And once we do, how do we secure it? And, oh. uh, and how do we, you know, is he actually going to make it? Exactly. And, uh, I'll tell you what, I have really become a fan of Joseph Gordon Levitt. I really have. This guy is incredible. He's a terrific actor. And of course, it has a great cast, Ben Kingsley. Oh, yes. Um, so it really is a true story. Uh, one that we, you know, don't know about. I mean, no. you know, and, no. um, and this is a, this is a really cool movie and it's by a lot of brilliant filmmakers as well. Oh, yes. And the, uh, cinematography is off the charts. Well, the director is Robert Zemeckis. Zemeckis, right. Oh my yeah. gosh. Yeah. Gave us Back to the Future movies. Sure. Forrest Gump. Yes. Flight. Amazing. All right. Another clip from The Walk. to wear a safety belt underneath your costume attached to a safety line. I am not going to do this walk with a safety line hanging off From of me. that height, it will be invisible. No one will have any idea. What did you think of the film? I am all the way in. Four stars yeah. out of four. Yeah. The walk is breathtaking and beautiful at the same time. It yeah. is so amazing. Right. The, the fact that it's true. you just like, what? And how they uh, recreated the Twin Towers it's amazing. It is. And it, to see them again, I mean, it makes broke my heart seeing it in the film, obviously. But, um, you know, this is a true story and they just did an amazing job. And I, I cannot say enough about Joseph Gordon Levitt in oh, this I film. Know. You know, he's hey, amazing. And yes, Carl, I, but I believe about the Twin Towers, it's a tribute to the Twin yes. Towers. And I know that's what the 
filmmaker's intentions sure, were. Sure, sure. But be careful. I mean, you are going to grasp and clutch the armrest of your chair because you feel like, whoa, yeah, oh, I you're mean, on the high wire. It gives you vertigo just watching the movie, but in a good way. It does. And, you know, this film, you know, the first half kind of goes along because it sets up the story. But you wouldn't want two hours of like gripping, yeah, you know, because you really this, sure. can't take more than 20 minutes. And yeah, that's they do a great job of building the suspense. And you know, the great thing I love about this, it's for ages eight to 80. Yeah. I think kids are going to love this movie. All right. So four stars for The Walk. Let's talk now about A Brilliant Young Mind. Nathan is on the spectrum. Traits of autism. Hi, can I order number 47, please? My son is quite picky. He needs the meal number to be a prime number and a prime number of prawn balls. There is no question that he's a unique young man. So what's this film all about? It's a drama by Samuel Golden Films. This was inspired by director Morgan Matthews' most successful documentary entitled Beautiful Young Minds. Mm-hmm. So he decides to go ahead and use real-life actors. And yes, so do sort of a this, scripted version of his documentary. Yeah, take yeah. this to the next level. Right, and he uses uh, really kind of unknown actors in this. I mean, they've been in things, but there's really no stars, and so it makes it almost have that documentary feel, but it is a scripted film. Yes, it, it is, and it's about British students who are preparing and then participate in the International Mathematics Olympiad. Right. These are is, genius kids here. Yes. I yes. mean, like, you don't no. want to go up against them in any kind of a math no, quiz. No. They our, know their stuff. Our main character, Nathan Ellis, he's played by Asa Butterfield, who we have seen in Hugo, mm-hmm. Ender's Game, right. yes, and The Boy yes. in the Striped Pajamas. Right, but not a, not a movie star, but he's he's terrific. You're right. He's a no, great, he's I mean, not, he but, plays this performance. He it, does. It's unbelievable. Yes, he starts, uh, Nathan starts to film out in voiceover saying, because I don't talk much, people think I don't have anything to say. I have a lot to say. I'm just afraid to say it. Right. He has, uh, obviously, he's very socially awkward. Autism. And he has autism. Yes, yeah. he does. Mm-hmm. He does. We have uh, Rafe Spall as his teacher and coach and Sally Hawkins, mm-hmm. Nathan's widowed mother. Right, right. And he gets chosen to be in this contest. And he doesn't really even know how he feels about it. No, he you know? doesn't. He's sort of lost. He is. Um, but then he meets some interesting people along the way. Yes, and yes. And it's a touching story. All right, it another is. clip from A Brilliant Young Mind. You are the cleverest young brains in this country. We will be training before other national teams. Nice to meet you. If beauty is truth and truth is beauty, well, then surely mathematics is the most beautiful thing of all. So what did you think of the film? You know, I'm in three and a half stars. This really is a heartwarming story and it's for all ages. It shows the struggle of a genius, yet it has a wonderful twist because he does find his first love. Mm-hmm. And we witnessed that and he's not even sure what love is. Yeah, but I, what we see is he starts to take I don't know what it is either, Sarah. <laughs> Carl, I know. You're and you're trying to help me though. <laughs> I can't. Sarah Sarah gives me coaching when we're not doing the show. I try, Carl. <laughs> It has that twist, which is wonderful. You know, yeah. love is at the core of many, many movies. But what it does teach him to start risking and not be so fearful of the world. Right. And right. you're rooting for him. Yeah, yeah. So this is a feel-good movie. Right, it is. So three and a half stars yes. for A Brilliant Young Mind and four big stars for The Walk. You heard it here on Hollywood 360, but check out all of Sarah Adamson's reviews 
at her website, which is sarahsbackstagepass.com. Check that out. Thanks, Sarah, for being on the show. Thank you, Carl. It's always my pleasure. We're going to take off for interstellar space, Lisa, with X-1. Are you ready for the trip? I'm hanging on. Get your space suit on. Okay. We'll be right back. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360, brought to you by Reader's Digest. X-1 was a half-hour science fiction series broadcast from 1955 to 1958 on NBC. It was a last attempt by a major network to sustain an adult-oriented science fiction drama anthology during the waning days of the golden age of radio. Initially a revival of NBC's Dimension X, which aired in 1950, the first 15 episodes of X-1 were new versions of Dimension X episodes, but the remainder were adaptations by NBC staff writers, including Ernest Canoy and George Lefferts, of newly published science fiction stories by leading writers in the field, including Isaac Asimov, Ray Bradbury, Philip K. Dick, Robert A. Heinlein, and many more. The program opened with announcer Fred Collins delivering a countdown to a rocket launch and the introduction from the far horizons of the unknown come transcribed tales of new dimensions in time and space. These are stories of the future, adventures in which you live in a million could be years on a thousand maybe worlds. Now, Fred Collins did it a lot better than I did. Yeah, I was thinking that too. Uh, The casts included William Conrad, Louis Van Ruten, Santos Ortega, Bob Hastings, Paul Fries, Harry Bartell, and Jan Minor. We were talking about Jan Minor earlier, we remember? Sure were. Or Madge, Madge the Palmolive <laughs> dishwashing <laughs> liquid. Yeah. All right, time for X minus one, July 3rd, 1956. It's called Mr. Costello Hero, and it stars Joe DeSantis and a whole great cast of others. It's a sustaining broadcast. Let's tune this in. X minus one. Countdown for blast off. X minus five, four, three, two, X minus one, fire. From the far horizons of the unknown come transcribed tales of new dimensions in time and space. These are stories of the future. Adventures in which you'll live in a million could-be years on a thousand maybe worlds. The National Broadcasting Company, in cooperation with Galaxy Science Fiction Magazine, presents... X minus one... Tonight's story... Mr. Costello, Hero, by Theodore Sturgeon. It began the day the skipper called me into his cabin. I'd been a purser aboard the spaceship Star Climber for almost 12 years, and I'd never yet been asked to Iron Man's cabin. But then a lot of strange things had been happening on this trip to Borenguen. Come in. Oh. Sit down, purser. I said sit down. Yes, sir. All right. Here's a deck of cards. Deal. Sir? I said deal. Five card draw. Go on, man. Yes, sir. Well? Uh, three of a kind, sir. You didn't draw. 
I beg your pardon? When you play draw poker, you're supposed to draw. If you don't draw, you're supposed to give your opponent a chance to draw. Now, mister, did you ask me to draw? Well, I, uh... <laughs> we haven't been playing that way recently. Who changed the rules? I don't know. Uh-huh. Let me ask you something else. You stood a watch last night in the ship's galley. Why, uh, yes, sir. Has anybody ordered a galley watch? Well, no, sir, but it isn't against the rules, is it? Against the rules? No, it isn't. Now, tell me. Does the cook mind having a man watching him 24 hours a day? Well, no, sir. You see, that way he knows everybody can trust him. You mean that way you know he won't poison you? Well, yes, sir. Now, tell me, person. Who aboard this ship suggested that the cook might try to poison you? Well, I really couldn't say, sir. It, it just came up. Well, Cookie doesn't mind, sir. Really, he doesn't. He, he says if he's watched all the time, then nobody can suspect him. So he doesn't mind. All right, all right. Now, let's proceed to something else. How long has it been customary for the deck officer to bring a witness with him when he takes over the watch? That's out of my department, now, sir. Now, think hard, person. Did you ever hear of a deck officer bringing a witness with him before this trip? No, sir. Or stand a galley watch? No, sir. Or play draw poker without drawing? No, sir. Now, one more thing. Yes, sir. We never had Mr. Costello as a passenger on this ship before, did we? Mr. Costello? Mr. Costello. No, sir, we didn't. Okay. Ask him to come to my cabin. But... That's an order, mister! Yes, sir. Let me tell you about Mr. Costello. He was our only passenger. Hello, Mr. Costello. Hello, Purser. Oh, am I interrupting something? Not at all. Come sit down. I'm landing on Boringwen tomorrow, so I won't have much more chance to talk. Well, I'll finish this later, Mr. Costello. Nonsense. Honest men should be open with each other. Go ahead, show him what you discovered. Well, the purser's a fine man. Huh. Well, Mr. Costello asked me to show him in the space code what a captain can and cannot do. Now, just a minute, Third. You wanted to show me, didn't you? Well, yes. So, actually, you're going over the limitations of a space captain's power of your own free will, right? Well, I guess so, sure. Sure. Tell the purser the part that you just read me. Well, it's a sort of safeguard against letting the skipper's power go to his head. Like, uh, suppose a time comes when the captain begins to act up, you see. The crew figures a lunatic has taken over the bridge. Well, the crew can send a delegate for an accounting. If the skipper refuses, then the crew can confine the skipper. Well, isn't there something about the proceedings having to be radioed at the time they happen? Now, there is a man who is absolutely fair. Witnesses for the watch, safeguards on the kitchen. I tell you, you're, you're all good men here. Yes, sir, this is the safest ship I've ever seen. Gives a fellow a nice feeling to know he isn't going to get his orders wrong or accidentally find something in the food. Yes, sir. I wonder why we never thought of that before. Oh, I nearly forgot. Mr. Costello, the skipper, wants to see you in his cabin. Oh? Right away. I see. Uh, will you come along with me just as a friendly precaution? Hmm? You, you can wait outside. Well... Well, in that way, both of us will know what happened. I'll uh, never be able to say that you didn't give me the message, and you'll be able to say uh, I uh, went to see the skipper. Right? Well, I guess so. You know, that this buddy system sort of makes everything safer, doesn't it? That's right, Purser. You can't do anything bad if you have a friend along to witness.
Mr. Costello and I went to the captain's cabin and I waited outside. After a while, I could hear them shouting. That is, I could hear the captain shouting. Mr. Costello never raised his voice. And let me tell you, Mr. Costello, that if my crew questions my sanity, they have legal recourse. But you can be sure that meanwhile, if a single man aboard questions my authority, he will learn that I am master of the ship, even if he must learn it at the point of a gun. Now, sir, get out. Wow. You okay, Mr. Costello? Oh, yes, yes, I'm fine. Did you uh, hear anything? Well, yes, I did. Would you remember what you heard? I think so. Let's see. You see this uh, little gadget, no bigger than a pocket watch? Yes, sir. What is it? Listen, I'll open it. If a single man aboard questions my authority, he will learn that I am master of this ship, even if he must learn it at the point of a gun. Whose voice is that? Why, it's the captain. Good man. But how... That's simple. You see, this little pin that I wear on the lapel here? This is a microphone. This watch is a magnetic recorder. I just use it as a toy, of course. Well, I'll be done. You see, Purser, I'm a collector. What do I collect? Voices. Voices anywhere, anybody, anytime. Listen. A lunatic has taken over the bridge. Why, that's the third officer. Mm -hmm. Listen to this now. I better not, Mr. Costello. I wouldn't want you thinking I take bribes from passengers. Recognize it? Why, that's my voice. Exactly. The time you brought me the special radio message from Earth Central. And you offered me a blue gemstone, and I said... Hey, listen to this. I take bribes from passengers. Well, if that isn't the end... <laughs> Cute, huh? Well, I guess I'll get back to my cabin and pack. Uh, when do we uh, arrive at uh, Borenguin? Six, tomorrow morning. Oh, good. By the way, I'd like you to come see me when you uh, put in there again. Well, that's very nice, sir, but... You're an important man, and I'm just... Nonsense. First... I insist that you visit me. Well, that's real nice. Oh, by the way, what's the major trade on Borenguin? Glunker. Glunker? Yes, it's a kind of soft fur. You can make a warm coat out of it that will roll up into a thimble. You don't say. And the Glunker trade, uh, that's carried out by, uh, by trappers? Mostly. Mm -hmm. They work alone and bring in the pelts. I see. They spend a lot of time alone, huh? That's right. You know, sometimes I envy them. I mean, working on a ship, you're almost never alone. And the way I see it, a man needs to be alone sometimes. Correction. Only, I repeat, only if he has something to hide. Otherwise, to be alone is antisocial and evil. We put in at Borenguin the following morning. I stood at the ramp of the ship and checked out the supplies and checked in the glunker pelts that we were taking back to Earth. The Borenguin people were a nice, independent, easy-going bunch. I knew a Borenguin woman named Nola, and she came out to the ship to see me. Fifteen thousand Glunker pelts. Check. Three hundred pounds of radioactive ergite. Check. Oh, just put that shipment of show seed over next to the ramp. Hello. What? Well, Nola. Nola. I saw your ship on the cargo manifest. Well, it's good to see you. Will you be on Borenguin long? Just for, just for a day or so. Listen, uh, I have to get this cargo checked in. Can we see each other later? I'll be through at the spaceport at 16 hours. Oh, good. Suppose I... Oh, excuse me a minute. Here comes our passenger. Well, good morning. I see we've arrived safely. Yes, sir. I expected you out before this. I had a few items to get in order. Oh, Mr. Costello, this is Nola. 
She's a uh, Borenguena. Well, it's very nice to meet you. This is a real nice guy, Nola. See that he doesn't have any trouble with customs, will you? Nola works here. Any friend of the purser? Wonderful. Well, I'll say goodbye now. Remember to look me up, purser, next time you hit Borenguen. I will. Hey, we broke our music again, Lisa. This is a big day. This is a big day. All right, so that is Mr. Costello Hero from July 3rd, 1956, the first portion of X-1, starring Joe DeSantis. And a great cast in this, Bob Hastings, one of the best uh, one of the best actors uh, around during the golden age of radio and, and early television. Uh, Terry Keene, Raymond Edward Johnson, Wendell Holmes, and Mandel Kramer. So this episode has some of the best uh, radio uh, veterans uh, during the you know during the golden age of radio on this. It's just terrific, and uh, we'll get back to X minus one in just a minute. This is Hollywood 360, though, here, Lisa. Did you know that? Are you sure? Positive? Sometimes you get confused. I I do get <laughs> confused a lot lately, especially lately. Yes. You know, they probably have, like, what is that? Uh, Dementia? Bimbo Baloba, or what I could take. There's like a, there's oh, like, what? Bink, bingo, bingo Baloma, Balama, Baluma, Balinga. Yeah, that, I should probably that, that, be taking Belinda. some of that, yeah. Ginkgo, it's Ginkgo. 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 Ginkgo Balomo. I should probably be uh, like ingesting that every yeah, moment that, of that, every day. I'm sure that will do it for you. That's probably uh, you could probably uh, have a good time with that. <laughs> do you have a be, birthday? Be a lot of fun. <laughs> All right, so here's another Joaquin Phoenix movie. He is like the co-star of this film, 2002 drama sci-fi thriller. Here's a monster outside my room. Can I have a glass of water? There's a monster outside my room, Lisa. Can I have a glass of water? Oh, that's good, Carl. All right, if you know what movie this is, call us toll-free, 855-360-H360. There's a monster outside my room. Can I have a glass of water? Call us now. Phone lines are open. Win some fabulous prizes. We'll be right back. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari, brought to you by Reader's Digest. Joaquin Phoenix uh, co-starred in a uh, drama sci-fi thriller from 2002. Here's a clip. There's a monster outside my room. Can I have a glass of water? And uh, Brian from Orlando knows the answer. Right, Brian? Absolutely, Carl. How are you doing? Good. How are you? I'm great. All right. Uh, thanks for listening to the show. What's the name of this movie? This would be Signs. It is Signs. You are a winner. Great job. Uh, yes, indeed, Lisa. Brian knew it from Orlando, and Brian will get some fabulous prizes that my crabby, very, very crabby since the Cubs lost, Brother Vince will send him. Uh, and it is uh, kind of uh, heartbreaking, really. The Cubs got as far as they got and then uh, just got swept four games straight by the Mets. You know, you have to applaud them for getting that far. Yes, yes, and, you do. And focus on that part. I think if I was playing shortstop for them, they probably would have lost uh, a lot quicker. Because you're short? Oh, oh Lisa. Carl. That's just... You see what I... See, see folks? You see what I'm talking about? Yeah. She's She's so nice on the air, but there's this... Underneath, oh, she's but mean. I have to keep up she's with really, you, really Amari. Hey, you know what? Real quick, uh, Bob, who used to live in uh, Minneapolis, uh, one of our listeners uh, sent an email talking about Kremel hair tonic. Remember we were talking about uh, Kremel? Yes. The sponsor of Sherlock Holmes. He says, ah, I remember it well. 
It was mostly in barber shops where I lived in Minneapolis. It was alcohol-based and not greasy. See, I was talking about it being greasy. Yes, you were. And the word Kreml is the Russian word for Kremlin. Right. And the bottle label had an image of the Kremlin on it. So you know not of what you speak. Yeah, I just talked out of my gluteus maximus again. <laughs> That's right. So thank you, Bob, for that uh, for that uh, clarification. And uh, I will still not use Kreml hair tonic. I don't want any alcohol in my hair either. Someone could walk by with a with a uh, cigarette, and my head would light on fire. That right. wouldn't be. That would not be good. I don't think it's used anymore in barbershops. I don't think it is either. But All if right, it were, <laughs> let's get back to X minus one. He gave me that big warm handshake of his and clapped his arm on my shoulder. Gave you a good feeling to know that a big shot like Mister Costello really liked you. I got the rest of the cargo checked in. Took maybe three hours. Then I was about to go in and ask the skipper for leave when a couple of guys with Space Bureau credentials came aboard. All right, that's it, boys. Close the hatches. Excuse me. Yes? Space Bureau. Is Captain Ireson aboard? Why, yes. You're the purser, huh? That's right. Something wrong? Would you mind answering a couple of questions? Not at all. Has the captain been behaving strangely this trip? Well, not strangely, exactly. Anything unusual? Well, no. He, uh, he called me in for a card game. Mm-hmm. Does that happen often? No, never happened before. Was he upset? Yes, I guess he was. Okay. This gentleman would like you to answer a few simple questions. Meanwhile... I'll look up the skipper. They took the skipper off the ship and left Borenguin the next morning with a new skipper assigned by the port captain. There was a rumor later that old Iron Man had been court-martialed or something. Nobody knew for certain. We made the rounds after that. Sigma, Nightingale, Carano, all the planets in the fourth system. We even went back to Earth with a load of glizzard skins and black prints. It must have been about, oh, 16 months later that we made for Borenguin again. I was talking to the third officer. Purser. Hmm? I, uh, I'd like to talk to you. Go ahead. We land at Borenguin tomorrow. So? I don't like it. What's wrong with Borenguin? It's one of the best ports in the system. It was. What do you mean? We got a radiogram from the Borenguin Customs a little while ago. Okay, we got a radiogram. Oh, some bureaucrat sent it. Nothing will happen. Another thing. The way it was signed. How was it signed? Loneliness is evil. Port Captain Borngwen. Loneliness is evil? That's what it said. On a government radiogram? Mm-hmm. Loneliness is evil. Where did I hear that before? We touched down on Borangwen at 1,200 hours. What a change. The spaceport was deserted. The only people who came aboard were two agents from customs. They censored our tapes and checked our written literature. I finally started a conversation with them. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, sir? Yeah? There is a uh, Borangwena named Nola that used to work in customs. I wonder if she's still there. I wouldn't know. Well, the reason I asked, she usually meets my ship when it comes in. I see. Well, uh, maybe I'll look her up. She has an apartment on R Street. 
She won't be living there. Try Central Barracks. Central Barracks? That big warehouse near the spaceport. I thought they stored the glunker furs there. They don't use the warehouses to store things anymore. No? They need them for the people. The people? You haven't been on Boron, Gwen, since the Brotherhood movement? I haven't been here for 16 months. Well, you'll find that the people have moved into the warehouses now. What about the apartments? What about the homes? They're used only for storage space. I don't get it. Look, we haven't got time to explain now. My partner and I have to get back to central control. Well, maybe I'll go to try and find Nola. Better take a companion. What for? They don't like soloists on Born Gwen. Since when? Since Brotherhood. No ladder has a single rung, you know. So what? It takes a hundred pair of hands to build a house. Okay. A single pair is useless. Not only useless, but evil. I don't get your drift. All humanity is made up of many parts. Any part that wants to go off by itself hurts the main thing. What good would your hand be if a single finger suddenly decided to go off by itself? Listen, is this a gag? It's deadly serious. Well, suppose I want to go off by myself. We'll help you. And suppose I don't want to be helped. Then you're a trapper, a glunker. You'll be sent into the bush country where the other soloists are sent. Holy smokes, this place has gone mad. Are you coming with us? Look, suppose, just suppose that I want to walk across the field to the warehouse by myself, all alone. You can try. But you won't get two steps before they pick you up. Take our advice. Get a companion. I let them take me over to the barracks. The place that used to be a warehouse. It was unbelievable. The place had been completely cleared of every wall, every partition. There, in front of my eyes, were 10,000 beds, cots and mattresses spread out over the entire floor of the warehouse. The light was blinding. Huge floods and spots bathed every square inch. Nothing was concealed. Even the plumbing, showers, tubs, sinks were lined up against an open wall. The agents came in with me and stood at the door. A cluster of Borangwen people waited in a roped-off area. This is it. Wow. The customs personnel are in that third aisle going north. I'll walk down there. Thank, thanks for the company. It's a duty. Wait. I'll get you a companion. Anyone for the third aisle going north? Third aisle going north. Yeah. There comes a man. He'll accompany you. A small, frightened-looking man detached himself from the waiting group and went with me up the aisle of the warehouse. The sound, the smells were frightening. Thousands of people milling around, no privacy, everyone terrified of being alone. I wondered how this had happened. Finally, after an hour of searching, I found my friend Nola. So that's the way it is on Boron Gwinnell. Nobody seems to know just how it happened just seemed better to be with somebody all the time. Then nobody could accuse you of doing anything wrong. But somebody must have started these accusations. Somebody must have put the fear into people. I don't know. It started with the glunkers. Of the fur trappers? That's right. We began to hear things about them. That they were thieves, that they planned to take over the city. 
Just rumors, of course. And pretty soon, if you didn't like somebody, you called him a glunker. Then there were signs. No glunkers allowed. You know? Oh, I saw some. You began to hear about it on the televisor, and pretty soon they appointed a committee to investigate and find out if there was any truth to the rumors about the glunkers. It was headed by Mr. Costello. Costello? Mr. Costello? He's a big shot now. Owns half the city, I guess. Well, it can't be the same one. Yes, it is. I've seen him. When did everybody move to the central warehouse? When the police started picking up soloists, everybody began to move in together. Didn't take long. That's the strange thing. How little time it took. I talked to Nola for a while, then I couldn't take it any longer. I had to get out to get away by myself. I found somebody who was going toward the exit, and after a while, we were standing outside the warehouse entrance. I'm going south. Uh, I'm going north to the spaceport. Oh. Tell me, does anybody travel alone? Sometimes we take a chance on it. I guess I'll have to take a chance right now. I'll be late for my job if somebody doesn't come along soon. Where do you work? That orange building right across the street. Would you like me to walk with you? Oh, you'll just get stranded there. I'll make a run for it. The street looks clear. Well, thanks for the company. Not at all. So long. Hey, mister, look out that car. Look out! Ah! Why, you... Is he dead? Yes, sir. That was deliberate. I saw you... Hello, purser. It's Mr. Costello. Yes, I'm sorry about the accident. My chauffeur was... He, He tried to run away. That's what happens to soloists. If he'd had a companion to warn him to thrust him out of the way. You understand that, don't you, Purser? I don't know. Climb into the car. You can't go wandering about Borenguin alone. Well, I... Police will take care of the body. It's all right. Okay, if you say so, Mr. Costello. Drive to the spaceport. Yes, sir. Well, what do you think of our little planet? Well... I knew you'd like it. Just think of it, Purser. All humankind, a single unit. Yes, this is a people that has found the truth. It awes me. Makes me humble. I, uh... Speak up, man. I'm your friend. Well, I was going to say, I'm not sure I like it. Well, take your time. Nobody has to make a man see the truth. <laughs> Isn't that right? Well... That's right, isn't it? Yes, I, I guess I guess it is. Fine. Yes, only the trappers refuse to see the truth. Are they really dangerous? Dangerous? They go out and spend weeks alone by themselves, don't they? Alone with their own evil thoughts. Evil thoughts? We all have them, you know. Even you. For example, you, you remember this? Well, I... Uh... Well, this should refresh your mind. Listen to this. I take bribes from passengers. Your voice, Purser, and a very evil thought, too. But that isn't what I said. That's what's on the tape, Purser. Now then, I I wouldn't use it against you, of course. Mr. Costello, what is it you want from me? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Well, a minor favor, perhaps. Go on. Your ship is going back to Earth after it leaves uh, Borenguin. Yes. 
you will have a passenger. I didn't know that. To be exact, a mentally deranged man. Who is he? His name is Hines. He's been the Earth Consul here on Barnguin. He's been recalled to Earth to report. You said he was mentally ill? He is, but the Earth government doesn't know him. Well, what can I possibly do? I wouldn't want Mr. Hines to go back and tell them a lot of lies about what's happened on Borenguin. Well, Purser, I want you to put this capsule into Mr. Hines's food. What is it? Oh, sleeping potion. You think I'm a murderer, Mr. Costello? Purser, do you know what will happen if this tape recording of your voice is sent back to Earth? Do you know what they do to pursers who take bribes? You'll be court-martialed. You'd use it? Only in the interests of protecting our happy society. Now then, will you see that Mr. Hines is properly sedated? I... You can get ten years of Uranus. Well, Purser? I... Give me the capsule. Good. Right over to the ship, driver. The first day out, the Earth Council, Mr. Hines, was in his cabin, and I brought him his dinner. He was a tense, nervous little man. Is your dinner, sir? Put it down, steward. Oh, I'm the purser, sir. The steward's ill, and I'm helping out. I see. Do you know what's happened on Boring Gwen? I was only there a few hours, Mr. Hines. Let me tell you, then. You won't believe it. Nobody will believe it. First, it was a little wedge, driven in the one place it might exist between the city people and the trappers, the gunkers. Suddenly, the gunkers were a menace. Then came the changes. You didn't have to prove that a gunker had done anything. You just had to prove he was a gunker. It all happened so fast. Pretty soon you were afraid to be alone for a second. There was a man named Costello. He came from Earth. I know him. You know him? He went to Borenguin on this ship. Then you must be the one. The one? Which one? Who testified against your captain for the court-martial. What? There was a tape recording, your voice and the voice of the third officer. Costello had them. He used them to send the skipper to Uranus? I didn't know. You must have known. What's happened to us? What's happened? What? I got him into his bunk and gave him a sedative. Then I took away the food I'd fixed for him. I still had Costello's poison capsule in my pocket. I went down to the radio room and sent a message to Earth headquarters. Two days later, we landed Mr. Hines told his story and I told mine. I showed them the poison capsule and told them what had happened to the skipper and about the tape recorder. Within 24 hours, a task force of the Earth fleet was on its way to Borenguin. It wasn't much of a battle, they tell me. The Borenguin army didn't have its heart in it. That was, uh, oh, 20 years ago, I guess. About Mr. Costello? I met him again last week, right here on Earth. Funny thing, I was sitting in Central Park on a bench. Well, 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 if it isn't the purser. I'm sorry, I don't believe... Look, look, look closer. Don't you recognize me? No, I... 
Why, Mr. Costello, I thought you... You thought I was on Uranus? I was. I served 20 years. Mind if I sit down? It's a free earth. You know, I'm glad I ran into you. I think you may be just the man that I need. Need? Yes. Let me show you something. Here, in this pouch. Recognize these? They're just live ants. Exactly. Let me dump them out on the ground. Won't they crawl away? They'll come back. Watch. You see, I put a little piece of this bread in the pouch, and I and I lay it on the ground. See how they crawl back? Yes, all except that one. He's interested in that dead caterpillar. Yes. You see, about one in thirty, I discovered, will eat something different. Break away from the pack. So what? Don't you see, man? If we can find a way to make the others turn on that one in thirty. If we can make the bread eaters think that the caterpillar eaters are dangerous. They're not dangerous. They're just different. What's the difference? Just so we can get the bread eaters scared enough. They'll turn on the others. And then? And then we can make them do anything that we want. You see? You see what I'm driving at? If you think of these ants as people, well, where are you going? I'm leaving, Mr. Costello. Why? Doesn't what I say make sense? Yes, it does, Mr. Costello, except for one thing. What is that? I'm no ant. So long, Mr. Costello. You have just heard X-1, presented by the National Broadcasting Company, in cooperation with Galaxy Science Fiction Magazine. Galaxy Magazine, on your newsstand today. Tonight, by transcription, X-1 has brought you Mr. Costello, Hero. A story from the pages of Galaxy, written by Theodore Sturgeon, and adapted for radio by George Leppards. Featured in the cast were Wendell Holmes, Mandel Kramer, Bob Hastings, Joe DeSantis, Terry Keene... James Stevens, James Ducas, and Raymond Edward Johnson. Your announcer, Fred Collins. X-1 was directed by Daniel Sutter and is an NBC Radio Network production. Follow the news with Chet Huntley tonight on NBC Radio. Yeah, they were talking about Chet Huntley there. On the end of that uh, X minus one episode, Mr. Costello, hero, July 3rd, 1956, starring Joe DeSantis. Let's take a break, then it's more here on Hollywood 360. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360, brought to you by Reader's Digest. All right, Lisa. What do you think we're going to do in our next hour here? Do you know? Do you have I any think idea? I'm going to stump the host. You are going to stump the host. Uh, I think you will. I think you will Stump the Host. I don't host. know. You're pretty on tonight, Carl. Yeah. Well, before, actually, after Stump the Host, though, we're going to listen to a really, really cool episode of Escape. You know how we save the mysteries for last? I'm familiar with that. So concept. like how we save Lisa for last because she's a mystery? Yes. Yeah. Uh, we have that for you. It's called the Adaptive Ultimate. You will not want to miss Escape from 1949. But before that, we're going to need a caller to call in and play Stump the Host. And you will win fabulous prizes. So Lisa's going to ask questions about classic radio. 
And the caller and I are going to try to answer the questions sort of as a team and uh, win some prizes. So call now, 855-360-H360. The H is a 4. 855-360-H360. Call now.